big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patron, Hannah. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like Hannah and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes and more, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. Also, it's a new year. I know a lot of people are looking for new podcasts to listen to in 2023, so the best way that you can help the show is by sharing it with a friend. Word of mouth is the most powerful podcast sharing tool, so convince someone you love to read Jane Austen for the first time and encourage them to listen along. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 21 and 22 of Emma. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma. Emma! Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen books before. And I, Molly, am reading Jane Austen for the first time through this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can go listen to seasons one or two of our podcast, respectively. But that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking about volume two, chapters three and four of Emma or chapters 21 and 22 if your book isn't broken up into volumes. Yes, yes. Um, I Also, I'm really proud of us that we talked about your girlfriend's dog's anal glands before the podcast started, but I felt like I just needed to sneak in another like <laughs> reference while we were on air. Yes. As we determined a few episodes ago, we start every episode with an update on Becca's dog, but this episode, it was my girlfriend's dog who was having booty troubles. So we talked about that. Uh, <laughs> but before we recorded. Yes. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> All right. Um. Anyway, to talk about these chapters, we have to just refresh on what we read last time. Last time, we got our little intro to uh, Ms. Little Miss Perfect, Jane Fairfax, Jane Austen's favorite new character. Yes, we met Jane Fairfax. We heard all about her backstory. We started to speculate as to whom she might be in love with. Yes, and we learned that Emma, not a fan. Emma hates Jane Fairfax. And we also learned that Jane's aunt is annoying. Yes, we learned. Yeah, because at the beginning of the book, I really thought I like Miss Bates. And now I kind of don't like Miss Bates. Jane Austen is spectacular at making her grading. Yeah, I started to also think during this set of chapters that she might not be the most genuine, like in terms of her gratitude. Sometimes I think she's just saying that. That is a complete matter of interpretation and a valid one. One that has been talked about. Nice. <laughs> But let's talk about the plot. Yes, let's get into it. So chapter 21 or chapter three, depending on your book, it starts with the same line that ended the last chapter, which was Emma could not forgive her, which is a line we love. Now, Knightley, throughout the course of the party, 
did not notice any animosity between them, Emma and Jane, because Emma is very good at behaving properly in public. And so Knightley leaves the party thinking that Emma and Jane are the best of friends. And he's so proud of Emma. I know. He's like, thank God you finally put away your like weird little pettiness with Jane Fairfax. It's time to be her bestie. He's shipping it, like friendshipping it. He's friendshipping it. Meanwhile, like the rest of us are for real shipping it. And by the rest of us, I mean you and me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and maybe a couple listeners. So he like turns to Emma and he's like, you were particularly kind to Jane Fairfax last night. And Emma's like, I'm always kind to my guests. Like, I hope you don't think that I am not kind to my guests. And Mr. Woodhouse pops in and is like, oh, sometimes you're even too hospitable, one might say, because, uh, for example, you should have only passed the muffins around once last night. <laughs> Classic Mr. Woodhouse. It's very important that people really like keep their muffin eating to a minimum and their gruel eating to a maximum. Why are muffins the thing that gets him? I feel like like if you're going to have oatmeal or muffins, they're kind of equal in my mind. I mean, muffins are sugary, but like what if it's a bran muffin? Muffins also have like butter and stuff in them, like a lot of fat. That's true. I guess. Okay. So I like to think of muffins as healthy because that makes me happy. <laughs> muffins are cupcakes without frosting. <laughs> yeah. is, is, am I wrong about this? No, no. You, well, it depends on the muffin. But yeah, I guess. Okay. To be realistic, I don't like eat a muffin for breakfast and feel like that was a healthy breakfast. But sometimes you want to eat a muffin for breakfast and tell yourself that it's equivalent to a bowl of oatmeal. A muffin is healthy and happy if it is good for you in that moment and it tastes good. Exactly. But it is, I think, not a matter of it being healthy or unhealthy. I think it's a matter of like it being easy on the stomach. Totally. And I guess gruel is going to help you move along, whereas a muffin might stop you up. Exactly. I think that Mr. Woodhouse is just really worried about everyone's bowel movements. Somehow we've ended up back at the butthole. (laughs) Of course. I mean, it all ends at the butthole. (laughs) Uh, so speaking of buttholes, Knightley says, <laughs> <laughs> Knightley turns to Emma and he says, well, you are not lacking in manners or comprehension, so you must understand my meaning. And then she gives him this look and her look says that she understands his meaning. But out loud, she says, Miss Fairfax is reserved. I like that they have this language that they can talk to each other and know what they're talking about without saying it out loud. I just wanted to clock that I like their relationship here. Yeah, and they, they've known each other a long time. Yeah, and so, like, what he's saying is... is what What is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying that Emma has been able to put aside her, like her differences with Jane and stop being a little bitch is what he's saying. Kind of. Yeah. He's also saying, yeah, you can be rude to Jane Fairfax sometimes. Oh, I understand. He is. He's like saying that this is a big difference for her, the way she was treating Jane last night. Yes. And Emma's like, okay, sure. He's like, thanks for being nice. And she's like, I'm always nice. And he's like, okay. And he's like, yeah, sure you are. And then she's like, well, Jane is shy, is what she says out loud. She basically says something like, yeah, it was like pulling teeth trying to talk to her, but I did it. Yeah, exactly. He's like, he's like, well, she's shy out of uh, diffidence. And diffidence means a shyness from a lack of self-confidence. 
And Emma's like, she does not lack self-confidence. Because <laughs> Emma has, like, thoughts about her. Emma thinks she's, like, kind of crafty, if you will. Yeah, I mean, she's she's clocking a sort of, like, Lucy Steele energy off of her a little mm-hmm. bit. But she's also, I think, just... I think it's a matter of, like, have you ever met a really beautiful girl who's really shy? I mean, I guess. Yeah. I have. And people tend to assume they're snotty. Sure. Yeah. Like uppity. Yeah, exactly. It's like they think that girl is too pretty to be self-conscious. So she must just think she's better than me, Mm -hmm. which is bullshit. (laughs) Right. But yeah, that's definitely what Emma's thinking. And then she says that it was like pulling teeth, trying to get information out of her. And Knightley is disappointed in Emma and that he was wrong about their newfound friendship. Mr. Woodhouse is not following this conversation. And he's like, I had a great time at the party, except for there was one moment when I got a little too warm. And I bet Jane had a good time because she had Emma. And Knightley says that Emma must have had a good time because she had Jane. And Emma sees that he's anxious about this and she tries to ease his anxiety about it by saying that Jane is a sort of elegant creature that one cannot keep one's eyes from. <clears throat> gay. Um, yeah, very gay moment for Emma there. Very gay moment for Emma there. But my question is, why does Knightley care so much about them being friends? Oh, that's such a good question, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> Maybe it's a question in the study questions. Oh, I love when I accidentally ask the study questions. All right, so we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Mr. Woodhouse is still not following the conversation, so he starts talking about how they ought to send some of their fresh pork to the Bateses, and he doesn't know which part of the pig they should send. And Emma's like, well, I already sent the whole hind quarter so that they can have their pick of what kind of meat they want. And Knightley then interrupts to tell Emma that he has a piece of hot goss. But before he can say anything, the door opens, and Miss Bates and Miss Fairfax herself waltz into the room. That was like a doorbell ringing. I don't know. Miss Bates comes in thanking Mr. Woodhouse for the pork. And then she's like, and guess what? Mr. Elton is getting married. (laughs) Graham, the sound effect. Graham, the sound effect, because there has been a proposal. But before we get to the proposal, there's something crucial we have to talk about, which is the way they describe making the pork. Oh, yeah. There was like a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. You were vegan. So I'm guessing you skimmed that. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they talk about boiling the pork. I was wondering about that, though, because I was like, that sounds kind of boring. I haven't eaten meat in 10 years, but I have this idea in my head that you're supposed to roast or pan sear pork. The idea of boiled pork, I mean, I guess there's a boiled pork dumplings, but you grind them up and you put them in like a container, but... Meat eaters, carnivores, tell me if I'm wrong here, but that sounds disgusting. Like English seasoned boiled pork. What I was thinking from that was they were describing the different cuts of meat and how now Becca's vegetarian or pescatarian and I'm vegan. So again, like take all of this with a grain of salt, uh, what we're saying about the pork. But what I was taking from that was that there was different cuts of meat and different ways of cooking it. And like if they took like a leg, they were going to cook it one way. And if they took the belly, they were going to cook it another way. And there was another part of the pig that was best boiled or the boiled was the boring thing that the bases were going to do because they can't keep a cook. And so they were going to like boil it maybe. But but also, I think that boiling pork sounds weird. And I think that it would be tough because pork is red meat. And like, for example, my roommate boils chicken for her dog to have as like a walking treat. That's totally normal because specifically dogs 
like the taste of meat without any seasoning or flavor to it. They like the texture of it. So that makes sense. But that's for a dog. Right. <laughs> you would not boil chicken generally. I, I'm, tr- I'm struggling to think of a meat that would taste good just boiled. Meat needs a sear on it. Yeah. And also texture wise, like it would be tough. I feel like the boiling makes it too cooked. Like would it keep the juices of the meat in? This is like completely a tangent for us guys, but I am struggling with understanding why. So if one of our listeners, we have a lot of very knowledgeable listeners about the time, wants to explain to me why Mrs. Bates why Miss Bates thinks it's a good idea to boil pork, please tell me. Because as far as I know, you're supposed to roast that shit. Well, I think Emma is the one who said they were going to boil it. I don't think that Miss Bates necessarily thinks that. So Emma might think like, oh, they're just going to boil it anyway. <laughs> Maybe. I think I thought Mrs. Bates said it to Miss Bates said it to Hang on. Becca has her book on her. I do not. So Becca will look it up. Uh, speaking of, though, our knowledgeable listeners, while you look that up, Napoleonic Wars is what's happening right now. Several people have... Let us know. I thought it was, but I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to be uh, presumptuous on that one. I, I was like not a thousand percent sure. I thought it might have been too early for the Napoleonic Wars, but thank you for our listeners. I was like they might be happening later. <laughs> so it's Mister Woodhouse who says that they boil pork. Oh my God, of course it is. That makes complete sense because he doesn't like flavorful food. Yes, but there's a mention of boiled pork again. Boiled pork belly is a traditional Korean dish, but I doubt that they're making traditional Korean boiled pork belly in this book. But I'm wondering if perhaps they're talking about boiling it in a broth of some kind. They must be. And I mean, again, like English food versus Korean food. One of those foods is good at adding an abundance of flavor. (laughs) (laughs) No offense to our English listeners here, but I am referring to you guys. Yeah, I'm clocking you guys. But anyway, later, Miss Bates says, this has been a most agreeable piece of news indeed. I shall go round to Mrs. Coles, but I shall not stop three minutes. And Jane, you had better come home directly. I would not have you out in a shower. We think she is the better for Highbury already. Thank you. We do indeed. I shall not attempt to call on Mrs. Goddard, for I really do not think she cares for anything but boiled pork. Oh, my God. Wait. Okay. So I stand corrected. They want to roast the loin. Mr. Woodhouse wants them to boil the loin. Got it. Listen, listeners, Molly and I don't eat meat, but if you have a dish that you are particularly proud of that involves boiled pork that is not a dumpling, then please show us. (laughs) I had dumplings today. I love dumplings. All right. Back to a much more important piece of news. Mr. Mr. Elton Elton is getting getting married. Yes, that is what we came here to talk about. Uh, (laughs) But I love that tangent. Ram the sound effect again. (laughs) Yes. So Emma had not been thinking much about Mr. Elton lately. So this comes as a big surprise to her. And Knightley is like, oh, well, that's what I was going to tell you. Miss Bates, her response is so funny. She turns to him and she's like, what do you mean that was what you were going to tell them? How did you possibly know that? We just found out. And like, they're the only people in town who can disseminate gossip, I guess. I also want to return to the fact that Knightley's being petty here because he says, by the way, I have some news you might be interested to know. What was the last time that Knightley and Emma talked about Elton. Right after he proposed to Emma. No? No, before that. Emma didn't tell Knightley about that. Oh, yeah. Um, when did they last talk about Elton? Oh, when when Emma was like, Elton and Harriet 
are going to be in love. And he was like, Elton would never. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And what I think is hilarious is that he didn't lead with this information. Like when he started the conversation, he waited until they had already been talking for a while. Like interesting because the last time he talked about like any gossip with Emma, he came in and he was like, I know something you don't know. And this time he like sat on it for a while. And he's like, by the way, I got something juicy here. Maybe if she'd been better about Jane Fairfax, he would have let her down more gently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he was saving this in his arsenal for when she was petty. Yeah, I guess so. So he says that he was with Mr. Cole when Mr. Cole got Elton's letter telling him. And Miss Bates then like abruptly turns to Mr. Woodhouse and thanks him again for the pork, which is why I started to think that she's not super genuine because like she is like really there to talk about the gossip and mid gossip. She's like, oh, and also so grateful for the pork, by the way, back to the gossip now. Like, I just don't don't buy it on her part. It's subjective because on the other hand, you could say like the fact that she's so effusive in thanking him for pork, which really just only needed the one thank you is one thing. But on the other hand, you could also read it as her just being like, oh, I just came by to say the pork was good. By the way, Mr. Elton. Yeah, that's how I was kind of reading it. But 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 I don't know. I don't know. It could go either way. So we find out that it is a Miss Hawkins of Bath that he is going to marry. And the letter that he wrote to Mr. Cole was short and seemed like was giving vibes like this just happened. So Finally, Emma pipes up. She's been kind of stunned into silence in the corner, um, which is unusual for our girl. And she says, well, Mr. Elton's getting married. I guess everyone's going to be wishing him well. Even by this time standard, this is fast. Yes, it's been four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Woodhouse, meanwhile, is just like, he's too young to settle down. Of course, he does not like marriage at all. And Miss Bates is like, oh, Jane, like, you've never seen Mr. Elton before, so of course you're curious to see him. And the next line was, Jane's curiosity did not appear of that absorbing nature as wholly to occupy her. (laughs) Which I thought was funny. (laughs) I just love the descriptions of Jane in relationship to her aunt. They're like cartoon characters, like polar opposites that, like, come in and want to... They're kind of like Anne and Lucy Steele a little bit, but not evil. That you know of. That I know of. Actually, who knows? Um, Jane is like, yeah, you're right. I haven't seen him before. Is he a tall man? And Emma says that everyone kind of has different opinions on whether or not he's tall, but everyone can agree that he is the standard of perfection in Highbury. Yeah, and Emma just saying that like through gritted teeth as well. Yeah. Miss Bates says, oh, Jane, you know, I just told you he's exactly the same height as Mr. Perry. And he's an excellent man. He's always shown her mother such attention, making sure she sat in the vicarage pew, which is, I guess, a good seat at church so that she could hear better, which makes Miss Bates think of Colonel Campbell, who she has heard is also a little bit deaf, which then makes her think of the Dixons. And then she starts naming all the happy couples, which are the Dixons, the Eltons, the Coles, the Perrys. And then she turns and thanks Mr. Woodhouse again for the pork. And then Emma says, so does anyone know anything about this Miss Hawkins? And everyone is like, no, not me. So then she turns to Jane and she asks why she's being so quiet on the subject when she has just been so involved in the marriage of her friend, Miss Campbell, to Mr. Dixon. Why does she not want to gossip about this marriage now? 
which I think is a weird way to connect the two things. But again, she wants to get something out of Jane. And Jane's basically like, I will care when I know them. Exactly. She's like, I've never met them. Why should I care? Poor Jane. (laughs) Poor Jane. She just is trying to exist. And Emma's like, why aren't you being how I want you to be? Truly. She's like, I haven't seen you in like two years. Why aren't you gossiping with me? Emma's entire Jane Fairfax thought is, ugh, why are you the way that you are? It's like, oh, it's like Michael. Toby. And Toby. Yes, exactly. That's the meme for this week. Why are you the way that you are? I hate so much of what you choose to be. That's so good. That is exactly it. She is Michael Scott. (laughs) She's like a hot Michael Scott. Wait, what's the rest of the office then? Oh my God. Dwight's obviously Mr. Woodhouse. Obviously. And then Jim's probably Mr. Knightley. Well, yeah. Uh, Ooh, ah. Mm, I think Dwight actually has to be like Harriet because he's Emma's right-hand man. That's true. I'll think about it. I don't know if this is an exact uh, lineup here. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll make a way to make it work. So anyway, Miss Bates then says that she always thought Elton would end up with someone from Highbury. And she hints that Mrs. Cole had told her some rumor But then her response had been, no, Mr. Elton is a most worthy young man, but dot, dot, dot. And she says she doesn't really usually pick up on that sort of gossip or, um, you know, she can't like parse out when someone's romantically interested. But perhaps Mr. Elton should have aspired dot, dot, dot. Was this rumor about Harriet or is she saying that Elton should have aspired to someone like Emma? Let me return to the quote. Yes, because I I realize my notes. So listeners, I left my book at my girlfriend's house and I'm going solely off of my notes, which are sometimes all over the place. So this is the quote. Yes, he has been gone for just four weeks, as you observe, Miss Woodhouse, said Miss Bates. Four weeks yesterday. A Miss Hawkins. Well, I'd always rather fancied it would be some lady hereabouts. Not that I ever, Miss Cole once whispered to me, but I immediately said, no, Mr. Elton is a most worthy young man. But in short, I do not think him particularly, I am particularly quick to those discoveries. I do not pretend to it. What is before me, I see. At the same time, no one could, nobody could wonder if Mr. Elton should have aspired. Miss Woodhouse lets me chatter on. So what I think she's saying there is that Miss Cole at some point whispered to her that Elton and Harriet were a thing and she said no he's very worthy but like he should aspire to someone like Emma you could read it that way I I kind of read it the other way I think it's Emma and well do you think they're both talking about Emma you don't think anyone was ever talking about Harriet because I think that Harriet was definitely part of the gossip I think that Miss Cole was saying something about Harriet and Mr. Elton and then Miss Bates kind of stumbled upon well I think that Elton should aspire to someone like Emma. That's what I was thinking. Let's let's dissect this a little because it's not totally clear. Yes, he has been gone just four weeks, as you observe, Miss Woodhouse, said Miss Bates. Four weeks yesterday. A Miss Hawkins. Well, I had always rather fancied it would be some young lady hereabouts. Not that I ever. Cuts out. Mrs. Cole once whispered to me. Cuts out. But I immediately said, no, Mr. Elton is a most worthy young man, but... Oh, he's not worthy enough. In short, I do not think I am particularly quick at those sort of discoveries. I do not pretend to it. What is before me, I see. At the same time, 
Nobody could wonder if Mr. Elton should have aspired. Stops. Miss Woodhouse lets me chatter on so good humoredly. She knows I would not offend for the world. How does Miss Smith do? Mm. She seems quite recovered now. Have you heard from Mrs. John Knightley lately? Oh, those dear little children. Jane, do you know I always fancy Mr. Dixon like Mr. John Knightley? So on and so forth. Yes. So so Miss Cole was hypothesizing about Emma and Miss Bates was like, no, no, he's worthy, but not that worthy. Maybe he should have aspired. How's Miss Smith? But maybe he could have aspired, but I don't know how people feel. I don't want to put words in people's mouths. Yeah. And then and then to immediately go into how's Miss Smith makes you think that maybe she was thinking about that too, but maybe not. Yeah. It's not clear from the way it's written. Right. Well, that was fun. I like dissecting things word by word. So after she says that, Mr. Dixon reminds me of Mr. John Knightley. Jane goes, Mr. Dixon is nothing like John Knightley. Hmm. Mm. Because we don't like John Knightley. Just to remind everyone. Well, he is Michelle. He is. Yes, we like John Knightley, but we are not like team John Knightley. But we like we like him. We love him. We're not romantically attracted to John Knightley. He is Michelle. He is Michelle. Miss Bates then says that Jane has told her Mr. Dixon is not handsome. And Jane says, well, I said that he is plain, but I really meant that people in general think he's plain. And I was just speaking from the general opinion of him, because when I have regard for someone, I always think them well looking. Interesting that she has regard for Mr. Dixon and thinks him well looking, but she can acknowledge that people in general think he's plain. Yes, interesting. Interesting indeed. Miss Bates then says, well, we'd better be going because it looks like rain. And she does a long paragraph about how it looks like rain and where they're going to go and what they're going to do. And then she says, oh, look, Knightley's coming too. So then all three of them leave together. After they leave, Mr. Woodhouse goes on to lament that young people are rushing off to get married. And Emma kind of half listens to him and half muses on the whole situation. Now, Emma is glad that Elton is getting married because it means that he did not suffer too much over her rejection, but she knows that Harriet will take it badly. She wants to be the one to tell Harriet, and she knows that Harriet is actually on her way over, and she's worried that she's going to run into Miss Bates outside, and Miss Bates is going to break the news to her first. But just as she's thinking of this, Harriet runs into the room, and she is all aflutter, and she's like, you're never going to guess what just happened to me. And Emma's certain that she's found out and that she's heartbroken. But then Harriet tells her that on her way over, she'd gotten caught in the rain and she'd gone in to take shelter at a shop. And who should come in but Elizabeth Martin and Mr. Martin? Record scratch. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about them. Thank God they're back. <laughs> Harriet is like standing by the door panicking. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. The Martins are standing on the other end of the store, and she sees that they saw her, but they're both acting like they didn't see each other. So stressful. This is so relatable. So high school. We've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. She sees them whispering, and they she assumes they're whispering about her, and she is kind of hoping that maybe Mr. Martin was asking his sister to come talk to her, which, again, is very, like, pass this note to the girl I like. Like, oh, my God, do you think she saw me? And Elizabeth does come over to talk to her and she's very pleasant and she asks how Harriet is and she says she's very sorry that they never see each other anymore. 
The whole time Harriet is suffering, she is miserable. And Mr. Martin comes over to talk to her and she just completely blacks out. She has no idea what words they exchange with each other. And she's like, uh, it stopped raining goodbye. And she goes outside and he comes running after her to tell her that if she's going to Hartfield, she should take the long way because the short way got rained out and it's going to be too muddy. And she's like, thank you. And he just cares about her so much. Our boy, Robbie. He's like, I don't want your feet to get wet. (laughs) So she takes the long way and she gets to Hartfield and here she is. And she says to Emma, like, I wish it hadn't happened, but you know, it is kind of nice that they were both so nice to me, but I really am feeling uncomfortable. Can you make me comfortable again? And Emma really wants to, but she's not quite comfortable herself because it really sounds like they care about Harriet and their, you know, their affection was wounded and their pride was wounded and they're hurting, but they really love her. And she thinks to herself, but like that was true before. And she knew that was true before. And that didn't make them any better connections for Harriet. The pang in Emma's conscience here, like the, the two sides of Emma, the ego driven, matchmaking side of Emma just like against like Emma's own human heart which she does have against all odds she does actually feel things weirdly enough yes yeah so she's like at war with herself she's like of course Mr. Martin was sorry to lose Harriet his ambition as well as his affection was probably wounded because he had hoped to rise in society by his connection to Harriet she's thinking to herself but He actually wouldn't really be rising in society, we the reader, no. But Emma thinks more highly of Harriet than she should. Well, what's she doing here? Rationalizing? Yeah, she's just rationalizing away. She's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that sounds really sweet. And like, this guy really cares. But also, at the same time, I mean, he cares because Harriet's good for him publicly. It's like Mr. Elton Goldinging with me. Uh, And Harriet has always had a thing for him. So like the story I'm getting is probably not even that accurate. Exactly. But she does her her best to comfort Harriet anyway. She's like, listen, you're never going to run into him for the first time again. It's over now. You did it. And she realizes now she has to tell her about Elton because nobody did yet. And the timing of that is just really bad. But she does. And it kind of helps Harriet forget about Mr. Martin. Again, I think this is Emma rationalizing a little bit. But she's like, uh, this is this is great because now she has something to take her mind away from Mr. Martin. And he doesn't have any way of like weaseling his way back into her emotions. I also love this as a tactic like, oh, shit. She's got two heartbreaks and I will use one heartbreak to distract her from the other heartbreak. It's like when you pinch yourself to get rid of pain in your leg or something. You're like, oh, let me make my arm hurt instead. Doesn't work, but. No, but it kind of works for her. We learn in the next chapter that it works for Harriet back and forth, back and forth. She's like one day stressing about one, the next day stressing about the other. So yes, all very balanced. Yes, very. Harriet has a very good, healthy, uh, emotional coping strategy going on right now. So that is the end of that chapter. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. 
You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Next chapter. Here we go. Here we go. So the first quote I wanted to read, because I liked how this chapter opens up. Human nature is so well disposed towards those who are in interesting situations that a young person who either marries or dies is sure of being kindly spoken of. (laughs) Kind of dark. Yes, very dark, but also very true. Very true. One of those like Jane Austen turns to the narrator out of the rocking chair and like takes off her glasses and tells us something. Yes, exactly. So immediately everyone in the town is talking about how wonderful Miss Hawkins is. So by the time Elton comes to Highbury to tell the news, there's nothing left for him to say because everyone's like, oh yes, she's amazing. We love her. He comes and he is in a much better situation than when he left. And there's just like two long paragraphs about how when he left, he was degraded and depressed and now he's living the dream and he is so much better off and I was just like shut up nobody cares Mr. Elton we get to meet Augusta Hawkins and hear a little bit about her backstory so she has an independent fortune because of course she does because why else would Elton have married her in four weeks oh yeah I mean it is established and I think this also answers some questions which we'll get to in the study questions about how Elton felt about Emma Exactly. Like, knowing this about her makes it very clear what his intentions were with Emma. So she has, quote, so many thousands as would be always be called 10. So probably like 8,000, 9,000. They just round up. I mean, it's the rumor mill. Right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like, they're just going to call it whatever. He brags about how they met accidentally and they fell in love immediately, or rather that she was easily impressed by him and willing to marry him, which is very romantic. (laughs) He is so happy now. His ego is so bolstered by having married Rich that he is ready to face the young ladies of Highbury with, quote, cordial, fearless smiles. And the young ladies of Highbury, meaning Emma and Harriet, who so wounded his pride before. Mm. The wedding is expected to take place very soon. 
And Emma doesn't see much of him during this visit. So he's he's here just to tell them, just to brag about it. And then he's going to go away and he's going to come back again in the future. But on this short visit, Emma doesn't see much of him. But she sees enough of him to see that he has not improved at all. It said uh, that he hasn't approved through peak or pretension. And peak is a feeling of irritation or resentment resulting from a slight, especially to one's pride. So basically, after she shut him down, he hasn't learned from that situation at all. It says, quote, she wished him very well, but he gave her pain and his welfare 20 miles off would administer most satisfaction. Again, so relatable. Yes. She's like, I'm happy for you. Go be happy in another town, please. She thinks that having a Mrs. Elton around will act as a buffer and make it easier for her to coexist with him civilly because they will never be alone together again. Emma doesn't think much about Miss Hawkins other than to think that after all Elton had looked down on Harriet, he actually hasn't done any better uh, because despite her 10000 a year, she's not Harriet's superior or not 10000 a year, 10000 total. Yeah, no, it would be a dowry of 10000 Okay, so it's not like she, she has an income. It's just she's got 10,000 pounds. I think she's got 10,000 pounds. So that's still a little bit superior to Harriet, though, right? Like, logistically? Oh, no, it's a big dowry. Okay, so, so Emma is just lying to herself. No, so here's what Emma's saying. Like, yeah, she's got money, but in every other way, she's got nothing on Harriet. Right, but money's a big thing. She's new money. Yes. So then we get into what kind of money she is. She is the younger daughter of a Bristol merchant. Both her parents are dead. Another one. And she lives with her uncle, who's a lawyer. Now it says Emma guessed him to be the drudge of some attorney too stupid to rise, which is an assumption Emma's making. But he's a lowly lawyer. And the grandest thing about the family is her older sister married someone who keeps two carriages. I want to know what her father's line of trade was because it said something about her father's line of trade not being like honorable or um, I mean, I don't really understand. Well, this is a moment where I would say we can sort of ask ourselves whether or not Emma's being a reliable narrator. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's definitely making assumptions about this. Like she's making stuff up. Yeah. So what we're getting here is we're getting these professions that are just below the gentleman class. And a lot of them are new money professions. Lawyers not, but um, tradesmen can be, merchants can be. And so it's kind of like how we talked about Bingley and his wealth versus Darcy and his wealth, mm-hmm. the new money wealth. And some tradesmen are more respectable than others. Take, for example, how Lizzie thinks of her uncle, Mr. Gardner. Right. And some are less respectable and less prestigious for one reason or another. And so Emma's saying, yeah, her dad's a merchant, but he's basically a store clerk. Right. She's being classist. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And so she's saying, yeah, she's rich, but that's not inherited wealth. So like Harriet could be a gentleman's daughter. She could be. And Miss Hawkins has no connections so to speak of, and nothing to offer the world other than being rich that Harriet doesn't have, which, as you point out, is not a small thing. But Harriet being beautiful and also having no connections is basically she's basically saying other than the money, they're equal in every other way or Harriet's better. It's kind of like a physics problem. 
Harriet has potential to be it's it's like Schrodinger's cat, which is a concept I don't really understand, except that I think in this situation it makes sense. And if any of our listeners are scientists, which I'm sure you are, you can totally come for me. But the idea is that the cat is both dead and alive at the same time because you don't know until you open the door what kind of cat is inside of the box. And you can't know because when you open the box, you could bring the cat back to life or you could scare it so much it died. And so you don't know what's going on inside the box. Right. You don't know what's happened in the box. So it's everything at once. Yeah, exactly. Because the the circumstances have changed once the door is open. Exactly. So Harriet, we don't know who her parents are. So she she has potential to be both dead and alive at the same time. Schrodinger's uh, biological father. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So... I see what Emma's going for there, but it's a stretch. Now, Emma wishes that she could make Harriet feel the same way about Elton and this marriage that she feels, but she knows that the only thing that's going to get Harriet over Elton is if she falls in love with someone else. I'm sensing another matchmake coming. (laughs) Emma! (laughs) She's addicted. Girl! (laughs) But I also get it. It said something like uh, Harriet is the type of person who, once she's in love, will always be in love. And I get that. Yeah, that's actually very Molly Burdick. Growing up and like throughout all of high school and college, I was a perpetual crush haver. No matter, I I didn't know how to not have a crush on someone. I relate to this because having a crush is very important. And as our readers are all fans of romance novels, I bet you guys relate to this. But when I was growing up, I needed a crush because I needed to have fantasies and I needed to put someone in the fantasy. And the danger was if I didn't have a crush, then one of my old crushes would surge back into my brain to fill all the fantasies because I knew how to put him there, you know? Yes, exactly. And there have been times in my life where I have been bored because I didn't have feelings for someone and I would pick someone in my life that I knew peripherally And I would say, I could see if I have a crush on this person by inserting them into this fantasy in my mind and then develop a crush on that person (laughs) because of that fantasy. I kid you not. So and I get it. I get this. And I also get like I've gone through breakups before where I've been so devastated and I've like gone to my mom crying and I've been like how will I ever get over this? And she's like, you just have to wait till you fall in love again. Like she has said that to me. And I read that in this book and I was like, Honestly, like, it's true that the heartbreak might not go away until you feel love again because your heart either knows how to be whole or broken. The best way to get over somebody is to get under somebody else's, I believe, the saying. That is another way of putting it, sure. (laughs) I will say this does not work. And this isn't like a good thing to do. It's not like healthy. You should get over someone and like heal for yourself and be a full-fledged person and love yourself before you go out there and venture out to other people. It's the better, healthier way to break up with someone. It is also a lot easier to get over someone if you find new lay buddies. Yeah. Yeah. New places to put your uh, fantasies. And some other stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, that's all to say that I get where that's coming from. Now, Emma hardly ever sees Elton around, but Harriet always seems to just be missing him or just have seen him or just heard his voice. Like he's always occupying her brain somehow. And therefore she's seeing him everywhere. And like she's got her eyes peeled for him kind of. So like she's noticing him everywhere Whereas Emma's like never noticing him around. That's when you have teardrops on my guitar by Taylor Swift playing in your head. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, poor Harriet. Plus, the people that Harriet hangs around have no reason to think they shouldn't be talking about him all the time and they all love him. So like at Mrs. Goddard's, for example, they're always talking about Mr. Elton. They're always talking about how awesome they're sure Miss Hawkins is and like how beautiful and how much they're in love. So Harriet is like feeling her crush. She's feeling her regret. She's going through it. If it were not causing Harriet so much pain, Emma would be amused by how she just like one day is stressed about Elton and the next day she's stressed about Mr. Martin. Um, This is where we get into each uh, heartbreak acting as a checks and balances for the other heartbreak because one day Mr. Elton's engagement helps with the shock of meeting Mr. Martin for the first time. And then her agony over the engagement was forgotten for a moment when Elizabeth Martin comes to visit her at Miss Goddard's the next day, but Harriet wasn't there. So there's a letter from Miss Martin and she's then agonizing over the letter. I'm like, what should she do? But then she sees Elton again and she's like, oh my God, the letter's driven from her mind. So she's just like going back and forth being stressed about all of this. Emma is a little bit anxious about the letter because... Once Elton leaves, Emma thinks Harriet should probably return the visit from Elizabeth Martin. She's like, that would be the polite thing to do. But I don't want to risk reacquainting her with the Martins. Like, this is a dangerous acquaintance for Harriet. But the polite, she's at war again with herself. She's like, but the thing that society tells us that we should do is return the visit. Someone paid her a visit. She must go return the visit. That's what society says. But the person who paid the visit is Elizabeth Martin. So like, what do we do? Emma decides what she will do is she will drive Harriet herself to the Martins. She'll drop her off. She'll drive a little bit down the road. She'll turn around. She'll come back and she'll pick Harriet up before there's any time for them to like get to really talking about anything. And that's what she's going to do. It's just like a drive-by return call. Yes, and she feels a little guilty that they're not doing the full thing, like the full decorum and polite thing to do. But she's also like, I can't risk it with Harriet. This is the equivalent today of like a one-word text response to a paragraph. Exactly. Harriet's like, what should I say? What should I say? What should I say? Like, help me figure out my response. And Emma's like, "Mm," say, okay, thanks. Yep. And that's the end of that chapter. Which brings us to Becca's study questions. Uh, I don't have many for these chapters just because they're kind of self-explanatory, but we'll go into a couple, starting with, obviously, why does Knightley want Jane to be friends with Emma? I think Knightley wants Emma to have a friend who's actually of her same level because he doesn't like how Emma is, like, playing with Harriet like a toy, maybe? I'm just kind of speaking, I'm not, I didn't think about this really in advance. Um, I, I thought of the question and I didn't think of an answer. So some ideas. He needs Emma to have a real friend who's her age and of her same societal standing. He wants Emma to stop messing around in Harriet's life. Does he have some personal stake in Jane's life? Like, I don't know. Those are the only two, like, things I can think of. I th- I like, he just wants Emma to have a friend that's her own age and, like, that challenges her mentally, maybe. I'll plant a couple other seeds. The only other seed I'll plant, I'm, I'm not confirming or denying any of what you said, 
is that Jane is opposite Emma personality wise. So like that. Oh, okay. So it could be he wants someone who challenges Emma mentally, but it also could be that he wants someone to tone Emma down a little bit. It could be any of those things. But 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 the, but why does he care? Is my question. Like why? Hmm. Worth thinking about. Definitely worth thinking about. All right. Uh, do you have any more thoughts on the mystery between Mrs. Fairfax and Mr. Dixon? The plot thickens. Things are growing in the lasagna. Every time he's brought up, she says something that makes me think that there's something going on there. But again, I wonder if it's a red herring. I still think it might be a red herring. I'm like hesitant to go all in on this theory because I feel like it's too obvious. But the fact that she was like, well, you know, where I have regard, I always think them well looking. And then also the big one for me was actually he's nothing like Mr. John Knightley. (laughs) Because you know that Jane Fairfax and Mr. John Knightley would not get along. And I think that like her thinking like, he's not like Mr. John Knightley. How could you say that? Is like, that's funny to me. So I wonder about that. But but her best friend is his wife. So I don't know. Still still unsure. Okay. Another proposal, Graham, for good measure, the sound effect. Is Elton's match a good match? For Elton, it's great. I was kind of hoping that he was going to go off and get married to someone random and we wouldn't have to like deal with his drama anymore. So <laughs> I'm hoping that's kind of what happened here. Uh, He kind of made off well with like, it's kind of feels like a um, Wickham and Miss King situation where it was like, all right, go do your stupid thing and get married to the rich person and like, don't bother us anymore. We're going to need another sound effect here because we're going to talk about the economics of dating in Jane Austen. So there are other dynamics at play here. The way in which this is not like Mr. Wickham and Miss King is that Miss King was very wealthy and Wickham brought nothing to the table other than being hot. Yes. What we actually have here is Elton bringing title to the table. Right. As a rector, Mm -hmm. a vicar, as they're called, I think. I think he's a vicar, yeah. And he's a gentleman's son. And she has money. The combo means they have title and money. Yeah. It's economically a very good match in that way. It's not as good as marrying Emma would have been for Elton. He would have been marrying up, but it is a marriage of sound economic purpose Mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes. That being said, Elton is saying, oh yeah, love of my life, perf bay, four weeks, so psyched. Four weeks. Happy four weeks, babe. Not someone posting on social media about their significant other. Who would do that? I'm hiding. <laughs> it's okay. True. Trust me. And then next question I have. Uh, what does this match say about both Elton and his new partner? Um, What does it say about them? I mean, for Elton, I think it, like I said earlier, makes his intentions clear he was looking for an economic marriage. Um, he was looking for something beneficial to him, which, to be fair, he didn't really mince corners about. Like, he's 
claimed to be very in love with Emma, but he also was super offended when she suggested that he had a thing for Harriet. He was like, no, she's so below me. So um, I think that like it just reinforces what he was looking for in a marriage. And for her, they described her kind of as easy. They were like, she was ready to marry him after a day. Well, what he said she was. So I'm curious about her as well. Like, what's she going to be like? I don't think I'm going to like her because it seems like she might be kind of similar to Mr. Elton. So I'm looking forward to potentially not liking Augusta Hawkins Elton. This is a very nakedly economic marriage in a lot of ways. And they're talking like they fell deeply in love immediately. But there's a lot of ways in which like they both got what they wanted very clearly. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. Like we're talking about people that we hate here. But also in that time period, a lot of marriages were economic. And that's just like what it was. So like no hard feelings at them for marrying well for each other. Um, Hard feelings at Mr. Elton for being a dick. Hard feelings for Mr. Elton for dating to pretend like it's love. Right. Because that's what he did with Emma. And then lo and behold, a few weeks later, he's got somebody else. Right. And it just becomes clear that Mr. Elton's just trying to find a lady to finance his lifestyle. Exactly. Make it his wife style, if you will. His wife style. Yeah. All right. Uh, You kind of touched on this, but predictions about the future Mrs. Elton. I don't think I'm going to like her. One, because of the way that she was described as like falling in with him immediately. And two, because I've definitely like had to scroll really fast on Twitter past people saying stuff about like memes about Mrs. Elton. So I was like, I was like, I don't want to know who Mrs. Elton is. Um, But I did get the vibe that she's not a beloved character. So uh, I didn't see what any of them said, except for like when Mrs. Elton, blah, blah, blah. I like didn't read the rest of it, but um, I've seen people talk about her, you know, saying not positive things. So I don't know what the not positive things say. And uh, I know that Becca will neither confirm nor deny, but I just have a feeling. Okay. To go to someone we do like, Harriet and our boy Robbie M. Robbie Robert M. Martin. Yes. Did you miss him? I missed him. He cares about her so much. He ran out and was like, wait, that way is muddy. Don't go that way. (laughs) Yeah. And also, like, I like that he and his sister both, like, still want to talk to Harriet and, like, don't they they are hurt by what she did and they do have some hard feelings, but they're not unwilling to make amends um, because they're the best. Yes. Uh, What else can we say about Emma's reaction to this? I my notes in my book at the end of the first chapter that we just read said, okay, Emma's still kind of the worst because she still so badly wants to keep Harriet away from them and that she's trying to rationalize in her head like, wait, but he's still a bad match for her, this, that and the other thing. Like, I just I feel like can't she just let it go? Like you've tried to get her with someone higher status and it blew up in your face why can't you just let Harriet be happy and end up with someone that she has genuine feelings for but Emma just won't have it so I got a little re-annoyed at Emma this chapter it's also almost like Emma can't like face directly what that situation is like she needs to rationalize it away she knows she, that Harriet has to go see the Martins. She wants to just drop her off and pull her right back. Like, she doesn't want to think about what happened there. She doesn't want to think about what happened there. And she doesn't, she is so afraid that they will fall back in love 
that she doesn't even want her to see him for more than 10 minutes. Like, because she knows that they will, because love is more powerful and to Emma, more dangerous. Like, she thinks it's dangerous to the situation that she's trying to get Harriet into to put her near this man that she knows that Harriet will be in love with because love is a powerful force and Emma is afraid of it. Okay, last question before the standbys. We're back in Harriet's love life in the throes of it. Do you have predictions for it moving forward? This visit with the Martins, that hasn't happened yet, right? That's just her plan for it. Okay, I'm hoping that that goes well. And I think that Emma's going to put someone else in the mix. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe Frank Churchill. No, Emma wants Frank Churchill for herself. Um, I just think she's going to put another man in the mix. I don't know who it is because she is starting to think that like that's the only thing that's going to get Harriet over these two men. What do you think of Emma? Again, I'm a little bit annoyed at her again. But I can see the turmoil that you're describing. Like She is trying to rationalize it because she feels a little bit bad. She doesn't feel bad enough. I mean, yeah, her feeling bad doesn't change the consequences of her actions. Exactly. So uh, she's complicated. As ever. All right. Funniest quote. The funniest quote is Emma of Elton. She wished him very well, but he gave her pain and his welfare 20 miles off would administer most satisfaction. Questions moving forward. What of Augusta Hawkins? Who will she be? What will we think of her? I look forward to meeting her. Um, I don't know when they're coming back, but whenever the Eltons come back, I want to know what's going to happen with Harriet and Mr. Martin with this visit that she's paying to Elizabeth. I'm hoping he's there when that happens. And um, I still want to know why why Knightley wants Emma and Jane to be friends. I don't 100% know yet. So, yeah. Who wins the chapters? Ooh. (laughs) You said that like you weren't expecting that question. I know. Every time I'm like, I I think about my funniest quote. I think about my questions moving forward. And every time you ask me um, who wins the chapter, I'm like, who wins the chapter? I think that these chapters have got to be won by Elizabeth Martin for going up to Harriet in the shop and wishing her well and being a bigger person. That's some fucking class right there from Elizabeth Martin. Yeah. Go Elizabeth Martin. She was like, yeah, I'll talk to your crush for you. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to be the fucking adult here and talk to our friend, even though she's being kind of a dick. Yeah. So, yeah, Elizabeth Martin takes the cake. All right, perfect choice. All right, listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. For next time, you're going to read the next two chapters, volume the second, chapters five and six. Or if you're reading a book without volumes, chapters 23 and 24 of the book. Molly, anything else before we go? I'm just excited to read the next two chapters. They're actually pretty juicy ones. So until next time, stay proper. And take the long way around because the short way is too muddy. Yeah, it is today. Yeah. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. 
To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.